this morning we sing about the, the song, uh, Amazing Grace, you know, God's Amazing Grace. And what's interesting is when you come to the book of Colossians, Paul ends with these words, grace be with you. He begins and ends uh, the book of Colossians with this wonderful theological thought about God's grace. And we get to sing about that this morning collectively as a church family. Not just hear me say it, speak it, but we get to sing about God's amazing grace. And I think that's important. I think that's something absolutely beautiful that we as a collective community have the opportunity to sing about God's grace, not about a word, but about what God has done, what God has given to us, what God has blessed us with through the unique person of Jesus Christ. And as we come together, as we gather together from all different places and sorts in life, we have the opportunity to celebrate this wonderful message of God's grace to us this morning. Paul is writing a letter to people a thousand miles away. And what's going to happen? Somebody's going to take that letter, and he's going to travel for months from Rome to Colossae, They're going to gather, what, maybe 10, 15, 20 people in a little house church, and somebody's going to take the letter, and they're going to go, I've got something from Paul, the guy in in Rome. And I just want to read to you. I want to read to you what he has to say. No, No teaching, no preaching. I've been preaching through the book of Colossians for the last three or four months, verse by verse. But they're going to read it, and their hearts are going to be bound together, and they're going to be so excited that they've had what? They've had a message from God through the Apostle Paul, through the Spirit of God. And how important, how wonderful, how beautiful that is to gather together as a church family in the midst of all the chaos and say, this is our God. Remember, one of the the major themes in the book of Colossians is what? It's the supremacy of Christ. That Jesus had the absolute supremacy in all that we say and do, in the way that we would live. Jesus, you are supreme. We love you. We care for you. We want you to be absolutely supreme in our lives. No matter what's going on, difficulties and challenges of life, Jesus, we hold you to be supreme. And this morning, we have the privilege of being out to gather together as a church family and to celebrate as a church God's goodness and God's grace. That's what we gathered here this morning. So now let me get into what I want to talk about this morning. You ever gone to a, a funeral, a graveside service, and, uh, and, and maybe spend a few minutes walking around the, the cemetery, walking around the, the, the graves and looking at some of the tombstones? And it happens quite a bit when I have an opportunity to, uh, to do a graveside service. And I get there a little bit early, and, and I like to walk around. And I like to walk around. I like to read the, 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 the tombstones. I like to read what's on them. You know, the, the, some of them are pretty creative. You know, a lot of times when I read them and you see the words that are described there, you, you got a, a little bit of idea of, of who the person was and maybe how they lived. Not totally, but you get a, maybe a, a brief description of their life. And so over the, a, a period of time, I've, I've collected epitaphs, tombstone headings, and I want to share a couple that I thought were kind of creative, you know. Uh, let me just remind you this morning, if you don't know this, you're going to die one day. You know, we're all going to be there. And uh, what, what do you want on your tombstone, you know? I'm not talking about pizza. Uh, what, what, what do you want to be remembered by? And here's a couple of them that I thought I would share with you. Uh, what is this? D-E-A-D. You know, this guy, I'm dead. That's what it says. You can barely, you can barely say it. it says D-E-A-D. But he's very creative in the way that he puts his, he or she puts his tombstone together. Here's the next one. Uh, I told you I was sick. Yeah, oops, 
Missed that one, didn't we? Uh, number three, um, four. I, I raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom, and uh, still there was love. You know, I resonate a little bit with three daughters. I resonate a little bit with this, so I thought that was important. Uh, what about this next one? Kay's fudge. I mean, isn't that interesting? Uh, obviously, she was known for something. Now, I realized at the end of this, someone's going to come up to me, and you're going to go, Clint, oh, man, that was a really good sermon. By the way, can I have the recipe for that fudge? On the... <laughs> uh, I get that. We're okay. I- I'm okay with that. Uh, but some of us grew up around TV. You remember this one? You- you'll get this. That's all, folks. We all remember that. Cartoons, Roadrunner. Yeah, we all remember that. Some of us do. All right. Uh, what about this in Merv Griffin? I will not be right back after these messages. You know, he's known for I will be right back after these messages. What about the singer uh, Dean Martin? Everybody loves somebody sometimes. You know, you, you just say that phrase, and most people are going to recognize the name attached to that song. Here's the last one. We once were where you are. You will be where we are. Prepare. Isn't that interesting? Now, here is this person who's passed away, and they're kind of giving us a message, aren't they? Aren't they saying, listen, what you need to do is you need to be prepared for what? You need to be prepared for death. We read these brief epitaphs, and you've seen them before, and maybe we get an idea, a picture of the person, how they lived, you know, what was true of their life. When my mom passed away, my dad and I had this conversation, you know, what is, what do one of my mom's tombstone? And we settled on this. We settled on loving wife. Mom and friend. Why? Because that just described her to a T. Those words were a great description of who she is in the way that she lived her life. Also on her tombstone is the, the date that she was born and the, the date that she passed away. So you have a beginning date and an ending date. And in between those two dates, there's this thing called a dash. Let me ask you something. How, how do you want to live your dash? How do you want to live that gap in there? What do you want to do? What do you want to be known for in life? And you think about your life and you reflect on your life and the, the, the way that you end. How are, how are you going to be described? How would you like to be described? And are you living consistently with the way that you would want to be described as? Do you want to end well in life? I want to end well. I really want to end well in life. What's interesting in the book of Colossians, if you go back and look at a couple of the verses that we looked at last week, you kind of get an epitaph of two people, the way that they lived their life. You know, here it is some 2,000 years later, and we're looking at the book of Colossians, and we're looking at these two people, and we get a description of their life. 2,000 years we've known. Tychicus, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Notice his epitaph. Tychicus will tell you, however you... What will tell you all the news about you. He's what? He's a dear brother. He's a faithful minister. And he's a fellow servant in the Lord. What a beautiful description of who he is and how way that he lived his life. 2,000 years later, we're celebrating the way that he lived his life to the people of Colossae, living with Paul. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Another one. Epaphras. Notice how he's described. Epaphras, he's one of you. And he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He sends his greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. You know, here it is some 2,000 later, and you read those brief descriptions, and you get a great understanding of who they were, their lives, and the way that they lived their faith out. What a beautiful description of these faithful services. What, what, what do you want to be true of your life? Do you want to end well? So what I want to do, I want to end well, and I want to end the book of Colossians well. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to invite you to turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to look at four verses today. 
We're going to look at the ending to the uh, to the book of Colossians. These, this 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 revel this revelation from Paul to the church at Colossae, and I want to just wrap it up in these four verses with some application, if you will, from Paul and the way that he lived and the way that he ended this letter. So, so let me just read God's word. And by the way, I'm I'm going to read the book of Colossians. We we do that every Sunday. That's what Paul was doing. In sending this letter to the people of Colossae, Tychicus is going to take it. He's going to open it up. And he's going to, here's, here's, let me read this to you. We're doing simply the same thing that they would have done 2,000 years ago. Hear the word of the Lord. He says this. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you receive from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So what I want to do is I just want to take a few minutes and point out some application uh, that we can bring into our lives and how we can enter our lives well. Father, I, I just I thank you for the word of God. Father, I thank you that we can come this morning in the midst of life it's the difficulties, the challenges, the trials, the joys, the heartache. And Father, we can can come into a place, a safe place, where we can look at God's word. And Father, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Spirit of God is speaking to us through these writings. God, you are revealing yourself to us. You're revealing who you are. You're revealing your grace. You're revealing how we are to live how we are to help each other. And so, Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things from your word, from your law this morning. And, Father, I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, what I want to do is this. I just want us to consider these four verses with the context of the idea of of ending well. How do we want to end our lives? Do we want to end well? And, and again, the the, the writer in Colossians chapter 1, Paul, he's talking about ultimately the supremacy of Christ. So, the supremacy of Christ is always behind us. It's always at the forefront of all that we're going to talk about this morning. So, let me just draw together some practical applications as Paul ends this letter and as we consider ending well in the way that we would live. Number one is this, respond to God's word. I know it's simple. But are we responding consistently in obedience to God's word? Notice what he writes in verses 15 to 16. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and what? The church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read to the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Listen, Paul's not writing to a social club here. He's not writing to a book club, a social club. He's not even writing a chain letter where I want you to take this letter and I want you to write it and I want you to send it out to 10 people. And if you do that, you are going to experience great, wonderful blessing for all of this. What's it? He's writing to people gathered together in probably house church and Colossae and Laodicea and Aeropolis and maybe even in Ephesus. And what is he writing about here? What is he doing? All of these people were part of something. They're part of the church. These are part of the church. Jesus said this to Peter. Peter, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades are going to prevail against it. 
The gates of Hades will not prevail against. In other words, I'm going to establish a community of people. I'm going to establish a group of people who are going to gather together for the express purpose of loving one another, sharing the resources with one another, encouraging one another, building up one another, gathering together, teaching one another, admonishing one another. I'm going to establish something absolutely beautiful that when they gather together, Jesus is reflected, Jesus is honored, and they are going to be something powerful in the world. It's the church that's incredibly beautiful and power, and that's what Paul is writing to here. In another, Paul, we call it a pastoral letter, Paul writing to his young son Timothy, he writes some incredible words about the nature of the church in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let me, let me just point it out to you. Notice what it says. Paul writing to his young son Timothy, who's a young pastor, probably a little bit timid, but notice what he writes. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And notice what he says, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. He said, listen, I want you to be able to instruct people how they can live godly, holy, righteous lives. Because Jesus went to the cross, offered himself as a sacrifice for the church. That's the very reason for the church. And the church becomes this pillar and foundation of the truth. What God is establishing in the church is the wonder and the beauty of being able to communicate the reality of who he is as we live amongst each other, as we love amongst each other, as we admonish one another, as we teach one another about the beauty of who God is. We encourage each other to righteousness. And Paul knew that he had been instructed, he had been entrusted with the the privilege, the honor of entrusting people the very word of God so that they would know how to live and exist. And so now is this letter being sent as it's being delivered to the people of Colossae, and possibly the, the, uh, the letter to the people of Ephesus, as Tychicus gets ready to leave Rome, and he begins to walk and travel these thousand miles, he's carrying these letters, and if he's carrying the, the letter to the people of Ephesus, he's carrying these words also. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for my point is showing you this is this is about the church is about the life, death, burial, and resurrection that Jesus came, offered himself as a sacrifice so that you and I have this incredible, wonderful privilege of living amongst each other, and we become a pillar and a foundation of what? The absolute truth about marriage, about life, about relationships, about jobs, about everything. The word of God is foundational to our lives. And we have the great privilege of gathering together every week to celebrate the Word of God. What? Collectively as a church. That's why we gather together. Listen, we need to be together right now. Absolutely we need to be together. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be building up one another. We need to be establishing ourselves with roots, foundation in God's Word so that we can go out and be an army for who He is and what He would come and do for us. And when you do that, it's difficult. It's challenging. Paul already established that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Notice what he wrote there. He said, I have become its servant, the church. I'm a servant of the church by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God 
in all of its fullness. What, what Paul was instructed to do was say, listen, I have been called. I have been commissioned. I have a stewardship. I have a responsibility to teach and preach the word of God in all of its fullness to you so that you can know how to live your lives. When you go back and look at the book of Colossians, you see all of the questions and all of the things going on. And, it's like, and we know and understand that Paul was rooted and grounded in the word of God. Go back and think through his life as a child. There's no doubt as a, as a Jewish man, his mother and his father established him in the Word of God. They knew beyond a shadow of doubt that the Old Testament was the very Word of God and he was rooted and grounded in the Word of God, giving them the Word of God, answering questions about the Word of God. And he was living his life knowing that his parents and others surrounded him in the synagogue, surrounded him, teaching and establishing the Word of God in his life. But there's also another aspect of, of Paul's life and it's the education that he had. Under Gamaliel, he was, he was instructed by a wonderful, godly rabbi of what it means to know the Old Testament, the mission of all the oral traditions, the Old Testament teachings. He had all of those established in his heart and mind. And then the Spirit of God came upon him, and Jesus revealed himself to him and said, now all of the Old Testament that you know inside of your heart finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, you're going to take that message out. I'm going to stewardship you that message to take it out to other people. So Paul had been established in the Word of God, the Old Testament. Jesus had revealed himself to him, radically transformed, changed his life, so now he is out teaching, preaching, proclaiming what the Word of God. In this little church in the city of Colossae, maybe in Laodicea, is going to receive this letter. They're going to respond. My, my question to us is this. Are we consistently responding to the Word of God in our lives? Not just listening to it, not just reading it, but responding to who God is and what he would have for our lives. Are, are we compromising in any areas of our life? Listen, if the Spirit of God is there to convict us when we get off, when was the last time you were convicted by the Spirit of God? And we kind of shy away from that because that's ungodly. Well, you know what? Sometimes we get off track. That's why we need the Word of God. That's why we need the Spirit of God to convict us, to draw it back to Him, to remind us of Him. That's why we need one another. What we're to teach and admonish one another of what it means to know God and to love Him and to care for Him. And so, what what the the the, 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 the person who's going to deliver this is he's going to he's going to bring Scripture. He's going to bring the Word of God. He's going to bring the Book of. Col- of Colossians. He's going to bring the book of Philemon. He's going to travel those thousands of miles. He's going to end up in a house church and he's going to say, thus saith the Lord. How are you responding to God's word? You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to spend a little bit of time on this is this. There's something called progressive Christianity and there's six, six levels in progressive Christianity. And what they do is they take the truths of scripture and they change them. They, trust, they just switch them around. And people are walking away from the faith. They're walking away. They say three out of four high schoolers, young people, are walking away from the church. And I wonder if we haven't grounded them in the hard sayings, if you will, of the Word of God. Grounded them in the Word of God. They're just walking away. And one of the first ones has to do with the authority of God's Word. They are just passing on the authority of God's Word. This, is not, this, this book does not bear the authority of God's Word. What we need to do is we're worshiping the Bible and we actually should be worshiping Jesus. And we would say, yes, we would do that. But the Bible reflects Jesus. He is the word becoming flesh to us. And we need to know and embrace. Parents, are you teaching and establishing 
the word of God in, in the lives of your children? Listen, there's hard, hard stuff. There's hard stuff out there for adults right now. And are we encouraging one another? Are we building up one another? Are we looking at the difficulties and the challenges of life and trying to answer those questions that people would have for us as we attempt to live our lives out? That's what the church is all about. We gather together. We love one another. We encourage one another. We build up one another. But what we want to do ultimately is what? We want to be that pillar and the foundation of the truth, right, aren't we? Where else are people going to go? Where else are people going to go? There's hard things in life. I've had a conversation with my, with my brother-in-law just this morning about this. There's hard things in life. When the hard things of life come, what is your answer? Some people say, you know what? I can't answer it. I'm going to go do something else. What Paul was establishing here to the people of Colossae, Laodicea, possibly the people of Ephesus, to Philemon, this is the word of God, and we need to submit ourselves and respond to the word of God. You unwell? Stay in the word of God. Number two, number two, don't give up. Fulfill your, fulfill your responsibility, fulfill your stewardship, your ministry. Uh, look at verse 17 and 18. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my hand. I think there's two thoughts here. Number one is, who's this Archippus guy? Now, it's interesting if you read the scholars and you read the commentaries on this, you're like, well, is this a rebuke? Is, is Paul saying, get with a program here? Or is it some kind of maybe encouragement to Archippus? You know, maybe, maybe he feels inadequate. And I, 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 God, I can't do this. I don't do this. It's too hard for me. I don't know the answers. I can't answer these questions. Maybe you're fearful. You ever been fearful in this situation? Maybe you're fearful to talk to someone about Jesus. Or maybe you're fearful to, 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 I can't do that ministry. I've never done that before. I'm, I'm fearful. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do that. Ever get discouraged? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not praying anymore. I've been praying for two years. I've been praying for five years. I'm, I'm giving up. I'm just not going to do it anymore. It's not, it's, it doesn't, nothing happens. Aren't we all tempted at times to give up? Aren't we tempted to just back it in? I think what Paul is saying, listen, Archippus, don't give up. Don't give up. Hang in there. Be faithful. Not successful. Be faithful. Not numbers, not this, not this. Be faithful. You do not know the outcome of what's going to happen in your life. The only one who knows that is, is the Lord. And what our responsibility is to be faithful to the stewardship that has been entrusted to us. Don't give up. Don't bail. Keep going. Keep moving it. Because you do not know what God is doing and how God is using your life. Timothy was, was a timid young man. And there's no doubt, I'm sure he was, he was fearful at times that he wanted to bail. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, notice what Paul writes to this young man. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work and evangelist. Discharge all of your duties. That idea of discharge, complete, fulfill, it's the same thing. It means this, don't give up. Keep moving. Keep moving forward. Hang in there. Be encouraged. You do not know the impact that you're having, and you may not know until you get to heaven, until the, 
the, the, the, everything is pulled back and everything is revealed and, and the kind of life that you're having at your, your family or your job or your neighborhood. Paul is telling Archippus, listen, you've received a stewardship in the Lord, now do it, fulfill it. Don't give up. So he uses Archippus as an example. But then he uses himself as an example. Notice what he says. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. A lot of times when they would write a letter, they may say, Mary's sitting here with me. Mary, I want you to dictate this letter. And Mary's going to write it down, and she's going to write down this letter. And so you kind of have Paul dictating the letter to, to Mary, if you will. And then at the end, he, he, kind, of, he kind of seals it by, by writing that last verse or two in his own. A lot of times they would do that. In, in the book of Galatians, that happens. In Galatians 6, it says this, See what large letters I use as I write with you, write to you in my own hand. Some people believe that, well, well maybe Paul, one of the, the issues that, that Paul struggled with was vision. So he's, he's writing really large letters. But there's this idea of, of Paul writing a letter through maybe someone else, and now as he's closing it out, he's, he's writing his own hand. He's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm the apostle. I've seen Jesus. I've been with Jesus. I know him. I'm suffering for him. And what I want to do is, is I want to make sure that you know the truth and embrace the truth. And I'm going to write this own little greeting in his own hand. Remember. Papyrus traveled from St. Louis beyond Denver for months to travel to Rome to get an audience with Paul. He said, Paul, man, I don't know what to do. I've got these questions in the church. People are celebrating festivals. The Jewish people, they're, they're really kind of going after all in this one direction. I mean, I just don't know what to do. I want to help them. I want to establish it, but I, but I don't know what to do. He traveled a thousand miles to do this, to get an audience with Paul so he could communicate what? The truth of God. Some of us won't go five miles, five minutes to get our answers to the questions that we have. This guy loved the church. He loved the truth, and he wanted people to be rooted and grounded in the truth. And Paul says, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm here, and I'm writing this in my own hand because I want you to know the truth, and I want you to be established in the truth. Paul didn't blow him off. Paul said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to fulfill my responsibility even though I'm in prison. Listen, Paul's ending well. He's ending well. Third point I see in this is this. Have compassion. Remember those who are suffering. Look at verse 18. Remember my chains. Three simple words. Remember my chains. What's interesting is when you read this letter, Paul doesn't complain. Oh, man, you should see the food they're giving me. Oh, this guard over here, he's always, he's always mean to me. He's always pulling on my chains. He doesn't give me a lot of freedom. There's not this idea where we see Paul complaining about his difficult circumstances. When Paul wrote, when you go back and look at it, he says, I'm writing these words to do what? To encourage you. In other words, what Paul is doing, Paul is using what he has. He's in prison, and he's writing a letter, and he's writing a letter to people who are suffering, and he wants to bring them the word of God so they would know and be established in the truth. And he's suffering. He's using whatever he can to be an encouragement in the truth. 
Listen, there's a lot of people out there that are suffering. And I think what we have to do is we need to be careful we don't get so closed up in our own little world that we forget there's a world that are suffering. You know, I need to protect myself. Yeah, you do. But, you know, we're also called to serve other people and to give our lives to establish things that other people might need, the resources that we have to share. There's an interesting verse in the book of Hebrews, and Gus Dodarica reminds me of this all the time. I love Gus. Gus and Daniel are prayers. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, notice what it says. It says, remember those who are in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. Isn't that interesting? In other words, be in such a place of empathy that you feel like you are almost in the same spot that they are. You are in prison. Remember them. Don't forget about them and to pray for them. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. You know, let's not forget about people who are taking the message of Jesus out of the country into other places, Bolivia. These places where it's closed, these places where it's difficult, these places where it's hard. People are losing their lives as they stand for Jesus. There are people who are standing tall and hard for Jesus. And the reason I like to stay connected to Bolivia and to the people, uh, to the Maccatees in Greece and to the Pavies is because when I watch what they're doing and I watch as they step out, what it does is it encourages me and reminds me to keep them in prayer. Let's not forget about this great privilege that you and I have to be a part and to remember those who are suffering in life. Are we responding to the needs of those around us? We just closing our hearts off. No, I, I can't do that. Paul says, remember my chains. That's what he says. By the way, I can, I can it's, it's just picture him with these chains on his arms. I'm trying to write this. Remember my chains. Remember those who are suffering. End well. I want to end well. Respond to God's word. Keep responding to God's word. Always respond to God's word. Uh, number two, be faithful to the task that God has given you. Uh, number three, have compassion to those who are suffering. And number four is this, be a conduit of God's grace. Be a conduit of God's grace. Look at verse 18, the last verse, grace be with you. Three simple words. Do you know that every one of Paul's writings begin and end with the idea, the thought of grace? Listen, it's not a word. It's about what God has done for us in the unique person of Jesus Christ. Grace is probably encapsulated all throughout the book of Colossians as he reminds us over and over what God has done for us in the unique person of Jesus Christ. Do you want to be on the receiving end of grace? I do. I absolutely do. What it, grace is God giving us an unmerited favor that I don't deserve. I want God's grace. Now, because of what God has done for me, what we need to do is be conduits, extensions of God's grace in the world. Paul wrote specifically about that. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. Let me just give you this verse. He says this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of, of God's grace that was given to me. It means this, the the task 
Administration is the management of a household. I am managing this grace that God has given to me. He's taken me from death into life. He's radically changed me, and now I want to be a manifestation. I want to be a conduit of God's grace. Not God's wrath, God's grace. God's truth, yes, but God's grace. The way that I interact with people, the way that I respond to people, my wife, my children, those around me. Listen, it's really easy for us to get off the deep end and not be a conduit of God's grace. And I think that's a picture of what the church is supposed to be all about. We are recipients of God's grace, right? Aren't you glad of God's grace? I mean, in my own life. I came to Christ when I was 23, 24 years old. I rolled a van in Ogallala, Nebraska. I could have died. I can't tell you how many stupid things I did in my life. And you're the same way. We've all done those mistakes. God has given us his grace, and now we want to be a conduit of God's grace. Two verses, and then we're done. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says this, But by the grace of God... That he's given to me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. In other words, Paul said, listen, my responsibility, my task, my administration is to build on you the word of God. I'm going to do that, and now someone else is going to build on it. In other words, I'm going to fulfill and do my responsibility. I'm going to administrate God's grace by doing what he's called me to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, God's grace affected him in such a way that he moved forward. He served. He gave his life away. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but what the grace of God that was with me. The grace of God was working in his life to be an extension, to be a conduit of God's grace. You and I are called to be conduit of God's grace because he's radically changed us. And the complexity of life and the issues and the challenges of all the stuff. Let's be people of God's grace. Let's be people who are faithful to what God would have for us and the challenges that he's given to us. And let's end well. Some of you are saying, well, I'm, I'm 15, 16 years old. I got, I got a lot of life to live. I can. No, you don't. You have no idea. The book of James says, you have no idea what tomorrow holds for you. None of us do. And, and the point is, We want to be people who honor and glorify Jesus. Whatever you do, in order to live for the glory of God. What we want to do is we want to establish these things to be faithful throughout the remainder of our life. So this past week, I I read of George Lucas, who created the film Red Tails. It's 2012 when it came out. And what it is, it's a dramatized version of the events behind World War II and the soldiers who came to be called the Tuskegee Airmen. And formerly, they belonged to the 332nd Fighter Group and then the 477th Bombardment Group of the U.S. Army Corps. And they were nicknamed the Red Tails because a group painted the tails of the aircraft red. And the Tuskegee Airmen became famous for two reasons. First of all, they became famous because they were the first African-American military aviators in the United States Air Force. So they became famous because of that. And the second reason they became famous is because of what they did. Because of what they, evidently what happened was the bombers would go bomb and then these, uh, these fighter pilots would stay with them. But when the bombing came, what happened was they would leave the bombers and they would go off and, and they would fight and remove the protection of these bombers. And these bombers kept falling. They kept being shot down. 
and these fighter pilots were, were tasked to do something different. They were given a different strategy, and this was their strategy. Never leave the bombers. Never. Regardless of what was going on around them, when the enemy attacked, they were to stay the course and defend their charge. And the result of them staying with their charge was this. 25 out of the hundreds, only 25 bombers were shot down because of their responsibility to stay and do. And their reputation of what they did was incredibly beautiful and powerful. Evidently, there's a scene in the movie where the Tuskegee Airmen are gathered around each other, and this is their model. This is what they're saying. Last plane, last bullet, last man, last minute, we fight. And the Tuskegee Airmen are celebrated, not because they were excellent pilots, because they stayed the course. They never wavered. They never left their charge. They stayed faithful to their calling. How much more for you and I when the gospel, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has been entrusted to us that you and I have the privilege of staying the course, being faithful, living out what God's called and entrusted us to do. It's about life and it's about death. It's about ending well. So we're done with the book of Colossians. And uh, again, the, the main theme, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 is... Set your mind, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that I can gather with my friends this morning. And God, we just want to be encouraged in your word. Father, I don't know where anyone's at this morning. Maybe they're discouraged. Maybe they're hurting. Maybe they're just ready to bail. God, encourage them through the word of God. Father, encourage them through the life of Paul. Father, encourage them that you even entrusted to us. You have stewardshiped to us this incredible task of living for you and bringing the message of the gospel. And, and Father, I want to consistently pray that you would open doors for us to be able to share the mystery of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. Father, I thank you for this. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together as your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.